Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff, and this is my podcast. It's mostly for parents of children with cancer or leukemia, but it's also for anyone else who's involved in caring for children with cancer or leukemia. And hello, yes, uh, Dr. Jeff McCowage is my name. I'm a paediatric oncologist here at the Children's Hospital at Westmead in Sydney. And today I'm going to talk about a couple of drugs and their names are trametinib and selumetinib. And they're both members of a drug class called the MEK inhibitors. Before I go on, I should just let you know whether this is likely to be relevant to your particular interests or not. When we talk about these two drugs, trametinib and selumetinib, and when we're talking about them particularly in paediatrics and in childhood cancer, the main diseases where we're using these drugs would be the uh, gliomas, uh, particularly low-grade glioma brain tumours, and the other one would be a tumour that occurs pretty much only in children who have this genetic condition called neurofibromatosis type 1. And children with neurofibromatosis type 1 are prone to getting uh, low-grade gliomas of the optic nerve or of the nerves behind the optic nerve, so they're called optic pathway gliomas. And they're also prone to develop another type of tumour called a plexiform neurofibroma. And that's a slow-growing type of condition Uh, It's not really cancer as far as being malignant under the microscope and it doesn't uh, metastasize elsewhere, but it is a slow-growing condition and it can be a big problem. Anyway, they're the two main areas where we use these drugs, these MEK inhibitor drugs, uh, trametinib, selumetinib, and there's a few others. There's a binimetinib and a cobimetinib. There's a bunch of them out there. So it may be that those particular conditions aren't of great interest to you and so hearing about these drugs mightn't be, well, as interesting, I suppose. Occasionally the drugs get used in other situations and in particular they're used in adults for a whole lot of other different conditions that are originally uh, particularly developed and used in the treatment of malignant melanoma, you know, the skin cancer, and they've been really amazingly successful drugs in the treatment of melanoma. We would use them in melanoma in children, of course, and in teenagers uh, sometimes, but uh, melanoma isn't very common in children. It is seen in adolescents and young adults, of course, but not particularly common in uh, a children's cancer unit. So they're the main situations where we might use these drugs in paediatrics. Again, it would be in the treatment of certain brain tumours and particularly low-grade gliomas and in the treatment of this plexiform neurofibroma which occurs in uh, children and adults with neurofibromatosis type 1. Now back to the drugs. Uh, The first one is trametinib trametinib and the second one is selumetinib and like I said there's a few others that are all members of this class of drugs called MEK 
inhibitors. MEK is all in capitals, M-E-K. So they're MEK inhibitors. MEK is one of these chemicals that's in a cell. And when you study cells and the chemistry of cells, you know, a cell gets a signal from somewhere, maybe a signal from outside itself uh, that triggers a, an on switch, let's say, uh, that makes chemical A activate chemical B and then chemical B activates chemical C and C activates D and eventually something happens and that message goes to the nucleus of the cell or somewhere else in the cell and makes something happen. It might be that it activates the cell to start dividing and uh, making more copies of itself. Or it might be that it triggers the cell to change in some way, to become more active, let's say, in, I don't know, attacking a virus or a bacteria. But we know about all these uh, biochemical pathways within cells, where A goes to B, B goes to C, C goes to D, etc., etc. Well, one of the main uh, pathways that we look at and study closely, uh, particularly in cancer, has this chemical MEK as one of the chemicals along the way. And what happens is that some other chemical activates some other chemical and then activates another chemical and then that activates MEK and then MEK activates the next chemical in the pathway and so it goes and that activates the cells to grow. And in uh, certain types of cancer, the whole problem is that that whole pathway is overactive. It's stuck in the on position, and so uh, the cell is constantly getting this uh, message to keep growing and dividing, and that's why it ends up as cancer. It's uh, out of control. It's not regulated, and the cells just keep dividing and dividing and growing and growing, and that's what cancer is. Like I said, in certain cancers, we know that this particular chemical pathway is overactive and one of the components in the pathway is this chemical called MEK, which has a big long name, which I'm not going to bore you with. Anyway, it's called MEK and the MEK inhibitors are drugs that attack that MEK chemical and block it, turn it off, put on the brakes and so that has the effect of stopping that signal going to the cell constantly to drive it to grow and grow and grow. By blocking MEK, we block that deranged pathway that's stuck in the on position and stop that message getting through to the cell to make it grow and grow and grow. Now, like I said, these drugs first really came to prominence in the treatment of the skin cancer, malignant melanoma, uh, that's particularly seen in adults and some young adults, but uh, particularly in adult cancer, a very aggressive form of cancer and a real problem if it spreads beyond just being in the skin. That's malignant melanoma. Now, about 50% of melanomas have this particular DNA abnormality in the tumour cells called a mutation in the BRAF gene. So it's the BRAF gene is meant to have a certain DNA makeup. Well, in melanoma, about half the time we find that there's a change in the DNA uh, that's called a BRAF mutation. And there's a few different types of BRAF mutation, but the most common of them 
as the V600E mutation. The BRAF V600E mutation, which basically means that at position number 600, a chemical that was meant to be a V has been replaced with an E, if you really must know. Anyway, in those patients, this pathway that includes MEC does indeed get overactive and stuck in the on position. And first of all, uh, the drug companies invented uh, a BRAF inhibitor. And the BRAF inhibitor uh, family includes Dubrafenib and Vemurafenib, which I'm not really talking about today. Anyway, next chemical along from BRAF is MEC, and that's where the MEC inhibitors uh, act. So in melanoma, if that V600E pathway abnormality is there, then the treatment is actually with the BRAF inhibitor and with the MEC inhibitor. So you block chemicals number three and chemicals number four in the cell, and the two together are better at treating melanoma. But that's because melanoma has that BRAF gene mutation. Now, let's go to paediatrics. Like I said, the main uses in paediatrics are with low-grade gliomas and plexiform neurofibromas, but also in certain other brain tumours, including malignant brain tumours. First, to talk about these gliomas, particularly low-grade gliomas. Low-grade gliomas are not cancer under the microscope, they're not fast-growing, they're not particularly aggressive tumours, but they are in the brain and oftentimes they can't be removed and so they can be a real problem, even though technically you wouldn't say they were cancer. What we've learnt in recent years is that a lot of these low-grade gliomas also have an abnormality of that BRAF gene. Remember I said that in melanoma there's often a mutation in the BRAF gene and it's called the V600E gene mutation. What we find in low-grade gliomas more often is not the same melanoma V600E abnormality but a different abnormality of the BRAF gene. In low-grade gliomas we find that the great majority of those tumours have an abnormality in the BRAF gene, but it's something called a BRAF fusion. A BRAF fusion, F-U-S-I-O-N, BRAF fusion. So they don't have the BRAF mutation of melanoma, they have the BRAF fusion. Now a small proportion of brain tumours have the BRAF mutation like melanoma and they can be treated with both drugs together. That's the dabrafenib, the BRAF inhibitor, and the MEC inhibitor together, just like melanoma. But most of the low-grade gliomas in children have this BRAF fusion, and that's different to the melanoma. Now, why am I going on about this? Well, it's very, very important, because if a tumour has the BRAF fusion, you can use a MEC inhibitor, but you must not use a BRAF inhibitor because that will make the tumour grow. That's a very bad thing to do. 
And so it's very important that we know with a particular tumour about the DNA makeup of the tumour. Has it got a BRAF fusion or a BRAF V600E mutation? And most of the low-grade gliomas have the fusion. Some of them have the mutation, but most of them have the fusion. Okay. The standard way to treat low-grade gliomas is to remove them surgically if you can. The problem is that often you can't because they're involving an important part of the brain, like the optic nerves, for instance, and you just can't remove them surgically. If you can't remove them surgically, then the strategy is one of trying not to do anything. Sometimes a low-grade glioma has finished growing by the time you find it, and it's just going to sit there and not change and never grow again and it doesn't actually need any treatment. However, if we find that the tumour is growing or if it's threatening vision or causing some deterioration in vision or in some other uh, part of neurological function, well then we may say it's time to treat that low-grade glioma. And over the years we've given a lot of chemotherapy, old-fashioned cancer chemotherapy drugs for low-grade glioma And that would still be the standard thing to do. I did an episode on low-grade gliomas earlier on, but most of the time, if we do have to treat a low-grade glioma, we would give chemotherapy. It would be an intravenous chemotherapy, usually with a drug called carboplatin, and usually with another drug with it called vincristine. And the Americans and the Europeans have different combinations of ways to give these drugs, but they're the main ones that are given, carboplatin and vincristine. And they're quite effective at stopping tumours from growing anymore and maybe making them a little smaller. And a typical program of treatment would be for 12 or 18 months of those intravenous drugs. The place of the MEK inhibitors in these low-grade gliomas in children with this BRAF fusion gene, has mostly been if that earlier chemotherapy didn't work. Perhaps we gave the drugs and the tumour stopped growing, but a year or two later we found on the scans that it was growing again and we needed to treat it again. It's in that situation so far where we've mostly started looking at using a MEK inhibitor drug. There are some studies starting up that might use the MEK inhibitor drug right from the start, but that is still a little bit experimental, I would say. It's still the sort of thing that's being done in research trials. But it might be that in five or ten years, the standard way to treat a low-grade glioma will be with a MEK inhibitor rather than with carboplatin and vincristine. So that's the first uh, diagnostic group, uh, the first group of children that we might treat with trametinib. So children with a low-grade glioma brain tumour and particularly one with a BRAF fusion gene that's present. The BRAF fusion gene abnormality is driving the cell's growth and it's driving MEK to be too active. And so if we give a MEK inhibitor, we can interrupt the circuit. So that's the first group. And most of the time they will have had some other chemotherapy before they come to a MEK inhibitor, whether it's trametinib or selumetinib or one of the others. 
The next group in the glioma group are those children with neurofibromatosis type 1. Remember I said that children with neurofibromatosis, or NF, NF1, they may develop a low-grade glioma of the optic nerves and optic pathway, and they may develop a plexiform neurofibroma that I'll talk about in a minute. The thing about those low-grade gliomas in NF1 is that they don't have the BRAF fusion gene. Their tumour is driven by the neurofibromatosis gene abnormality that they were born with. The thing is that the gene abnormality that causes neurofibromatosis also leads to an overactive uh, chemical pathway that is the same one. So it still ends up going through BRAF and MEK and driving the cells to grow. So a MEK inhibitor will work in the children with NF1 and a low-grade glioma, even though they don't have the BRAF fusion. All right, this is all getting a bit complicated, I know. But we have learnt that the low-grade gliomas that occur in neurofibromatosis type 1 are often effectively treated with a MEK inhibitor such as trametinib or selumetinib and probably the others as well. Okay, that's the second group of brain tumours. So we've got the low-grade gliomas with a BRAF fusion. We've got the children with neurofibromatosis type 1 and a low-grade glioma. And the third group to mention are the smaller group of children who have a brain tumour that is positive for the melanoma gene mutation. It doesn't mean it's a melanoma. It's just got the same gene abnormality as a melanoma. That's the BRAF V600E mutation. And they're the ones where we can give trametinib or selumetinib plus give another drug with it. They're a smaller group, but they definitely occur and we can treat them with a BRAF inhibitor and a MEK inhibitor. Okay, this is all getting very complicated, I know, but they're the, they're the situations. The next group to talk about are children or adults with neurofibromatosis type 1. This is that genetic condition. Some of those uh, children develop a tumour called a plexiform neurofibroma. This is a tumour that develops from one of the nerves in the body and it's a very slow-growing condition. Uh, grows very slowly over years, but just keeps growing. And it may be in the nerve down the back of your leg, the sciatic nerve, or it might be in the nerves up in the neck that are going down into the arm. It can really arise from a nerve anywhere. It can arise from nerves in the face, nerves in the chest or abdomen, and uh, some Patients with NF1 have multiple ones of these plexiform neurofibromas. Now, a lot of the time, plexiform neurofibromas are present and we can see them on scans, but they're not causing any particular problem. They might just be sitting there. They might still be slowly growing, but they mightn't be causing any problem. They mightn't be compressing any organ or causing nerve pain or having a cosmetic effect. They might just be something we can see on the scan, but we don't really have to do anything about it. Like I said, they're not cancer in the sense of being prone to spread elsewhere in the body, 
and under the microscope they don't look like cancer. They are a slow-growing condition, but they can be very problematic. They can cause real problems, and some of the real problems they cause are cosmetic ones. If we have a slow-growing plexiform neurofibroma in the face, for instance, or around the eyes or elsewhere in the face, it can be a real problem cosmetically and uh, one that can be very difficult to fix. Sometimes they cause pain. They can cause bad nerve pain because they're in a nerve and they're compressing nerves and stretching nerves and they can cause uh, pain down that nerve, sometimes an electric sort of nerve pain. They can cause problems by compressing other structures. For instance, if they're near the spinal cord, they can compress the spinal cord and that can cause uh, problems of weakness in the arms or the legs and can be a real problem. They can compress the airway that you breathe down. It really depends where the plexiform neurofibroma is located as to what problems it might cause. Now, as I discussed, in neurofibromatosis, that chemical pathway that includes MEC is overactive. It's constantly overactive because of the NF1 gene abnormality. And that's why MEC inhibitors were explored as a treatment for plexiform neurofibroma. The first research was done by a group led by Bridget Wiedemann in uh, the United States, and they used selumetinib. And they found that if they treated patients with plexiform neurofibromas, very often the tumours would get smaller and almost all of the time they stopped getting bigger. Then they did a further study and showed that there was very often a reduction in pain and there could be an improvement in muscle strength in related areas of the body and that the treatment was pretty well tolerated. And this really was the first drug shown to be reliably active in plexiform neurofibroma. Previously, all we could really do was see if the surgeon could operate on the plexiform neurofibroma, but that was about all that we could do. And sometimes those operations were big operations, and sometimes there wasn't really an operation that was possible. Radiation therapy didn't work, and none of our other drugs had really been very effective. So it's a huge development to learn that the MEC inhibitors can be used to treat these plexiform neurofibromas in children and adults with neurofibromatosis type 1. The other MEC inhibitor that's been studied in this space is trametinib. The selumetinib studies were performed earlier, but trametinib has also been looked at. And some of the early results from the trametinib study have been presented. I presented them actually at the American Society of Clinical Oncology in 2018 in Chicago. And we showed that, again, in patients with plexiform neurofibroma, that a lot of the time the tumour would stop growing when treated with trametinib, or at least stop getting bigger. And that was very encouraging. So there are bigger studies ongoing, and it's still early days, I suppose, in this work, but we really think we're on to something very useful in the treatment of plexiform neurofibroma uh, with one of the MEC inhibitors. Now let me tell you a little bit about how the treatment goes and how it's done with the MEC inhibitors. 
Firstly, these drugs are given by mouth. They come as tablets or as liquids and are given every day, once a day, uh, long term. It's not like three weeks on, one week off, or two weeks on, two weeks off. No, it's just sort of every day, week after week after week, uh, given once a day by mouth. They're not really like the old chemotherapy drugs. The old chemotherapy drugs sort of targeted cells that were rapidly dividing by messing up the DNA within the cells. So any cell that was rapidly growing and frequently dividing would get damaged by the chemotherapy. These drugs aren't like that. These drugs are targeting that specific abnormality. So they're what you call a targeted agent. And that's really good because it avoids many of the side effects that you get with old-fashioned chemotherapy. They are cancer drugs, but they're not what you'd call cytotoxic chemotherapy. I suppose they still fit under the broader heading of chemotherapy, but they're not at all like the old-fashioned chemotherapy that you might have heard about or seen relatives go through. They don't make your hair fall out, for instance, They don't really make blood counts drop. You know, the old-fashioned chemotherapies uh, cause blood counts to go low and uh, immune suppression to be very, very severe and risk of infections and fevers and need for blood and platelet transfusions and central lines. They're not like that. uh, They're very clever drugs. They're very sophisticated, targeted drugs that are aimed at a particular chemical pathway in the cell and because that's a pathway that's abnormal in the tumour then the tumour is sensitive to the drugs but the rest of the body isn't as badly affected and that's a real advantage of these treatments and you know there's a lot of these targeted drugs out there now that target particular DNA abnormalities and don't have all the old-fashioned side effects. Unfortunately they still have their side effects The main side effects that we see with the MEK inhibitors affect the skin. For some reason, uh, people treated with the MEK inhibitors get a whole lot of skin complaints. A common one is uh, redness around the fingernails and toenails. That's called paronychia. Where just the, you know that skin right next to the fingernail gets all red and sore and angry and sometimes then it gets infected as well and it can be quite painful and skin can peel and you know I've seen uh, people develop ingrown toenails from it and it can be really quite severe and it's pretty common. A lot of the children treated with uh, the MEK inhibitors experience this redness around the toenails and the fingernails We've learnt that we can treat it with uh, steroid creams. Uh, That's one of the treatments. You rub in a steroid cream a couple of times a day and that can be really helpful in fixing it. And then there's other strategies. Some people use antiseptic baths. Uh, There's some that use vinegar baths. There's a few different ways to try to deal with this paronychia, but it can be quite a problem. There's other skin rashes that occur. Teenagers often get acne on the face and uh, so if they've already got some acne you know it's pretty common for that acne to get a lot worse and it can be really severe 
and then need particular treatment for the acne. And then there's all these other skin rashes that we see, kids developing red patches, a bit like eczema, uh, red spots, things that you might call folliculitis in the skin. And often we end up having to give antibiotics and some kids have been on antibiotic course after antibiotic course, all to manage these weird skin conditions. And they can be quite a problem. And, and sometimes the skin problems are severe. Some children don't have as bad a time of it. Some uh, aren't troubled by skin problems much at all, but some are. And that's the main set of problems that we see. Uh, when I treat children with trametinib, I don't find them needing... Uh, blood transfusions and platelet transfusions. I'm not seeing all that low blood count stuff. Uh, most of the time, they are staying quite well. They're not feeling particularly nauseous or vomiting or their hair isn't falling out. Some are a bit tired. Uh, I've had some that had some aches and pains in the muscles, but mostly it's the skin. An interesting side effect I've seen is I've seen a few kids where their hair went very blonde. In particular, I've seen a couple that had uh, red hair and then after prolonged treatment with trametinib, they became platinum blondes. This was after a couple of years of treatment with the drugs. There are some other precautions to look out for. In the adult experience, uh, patients treated with these drugs uh, sometimes experience some heart problems and some develop some retinal problems, you know, the retina at the back of the eye. And as a routine, therefore, we check the heart out with an echocardiogram. It's an ultrasound of the heart. And we uh, check their eyes periodically to make sure that none of that is occurring. But I haven't really seen it to be a problem in children, but it certainly exists as something to be uh, monitored. I do occasional blood tests, but again, it's not like when you give those intravenous chemotherapies and then you do a blood count every week or twice a week to watch the blood counts drop and then go back up. I've found that uh, we don't need to be doing uh, all the blood tests that we're so used to doing in the rest of oncology. An important consideration, though, is to do with how long to treat and we're still learning the answer to that question. First, to go to the plexiform neurofibromas, the treatment for those is very prolonged. Indeed, it may be that if you commit to giving a MEK inhibitor for a plexiform neurofibroma, you better do so with the expectation that the treatment might be lifelong. It might be that the treatment just has to keep on going year after year after year. And the experience has been that if the drugs are stopped, then the plexiform neurofibroma becomes active again. And that means you better have a good reason for treating a plexiform neurofibroma before embarking on a MEK inhibitor. Like I said, there can be plexiform neurofibromas that are detectable and you can see them on the scan, but they're not causing much of a problem. Well, it might be that they are patients who should not be treated with a MEK inhibitor 
and we should reserve the treatment for those who have a problem from the plexiform neurofibroma or who have an imminent problem if it's allowed to grow any further. Like I said, the ones that are causing a bad cosmetic effect on the face or causing bad pain or compressing vital structures, things like that. There needs to be a bit more of a problem associated with this plexiform neurofibroma before you commit to what might be lifelong treatment with a drug. We don't really know what the very, very long-term side effects are with MEK inhibitors. The experience in treating melanoma doesn't really give us the answer. Melanoma is a malignant cancer and it's not a situation where patients are likely to receive treatment for five years, 10 years, 20 years. So we don't really know what the very long-term side effects are from near-permanent treatment. Then there are important considerations. We are yet to learn what would be the effect of it on fertility, for instance. And, of course, if a woman wanted to become pregnant, I would think being on a MEK inhibitor would be a real problem because of the great unknown effect it might have on the developing baby. So I expect that uh, women who are on a MEK inhibitor for a plexiform neurofibra would need to come off the drug uh, before becoming pregnant and for the duration of pregnancy. So there's a lot of big unknowns out there that we don't know about. And so again, I stress that the patients with plexiform neurofibroma who need to be treated really should have a good reason for embarking on the therapy. There's the skin side effects and other side effects and then there's the unknowns of very long treatment that we're still going to learn about. So in a perfect world, we would always be doing this within clinical trials and gathering the data and the information. Now, what about the children with low-grade gliomas, uh, particularly those with a BRAF fusion, who go on to trametinib? How long do we treat them? They've usually been treated before with an intravenous chemotherapy, remember, um, usually a 12 or 18-month program. But eventually, for some reason, the tumour must have become active again, growing again, and so uh, they've come to treatment with a MEK inhibitor, a selumetinib or a trametinib or one of the others. How long do we treat them? Well, we don't really know the answer to that yet either. We are still working it out because this is all sort of new. I would suggest that you have to think a minimum of 12 months, but oftentimes I think 24 months and then ask the question, is it time to stop? And in 24 months, hopefully we'll have some more evidence that's come from clinical trials and from the world literature and other people's experience to tell us, well, can you stop after two years or can you stop after one year or do you need to treat for longer? We still don't know the answer to this. During the treatment, of course, we will have done scans along the way to check that the tumour isn't growing. If the tumour grew during the drug, you would, of course, have to stop it and find some other treatment. But assuming the drug was working and the tumour got smaller or stopped growing, I think at least a year, but probably at least two years, and then uh, reevaluate and decide what to do. I think the same applies at the moment in the children with neurofibromatosis and a glioma.
So the children with neurofibromatosis and a plexiform neurofibroma likely to be lifelong treatment. But the children with neurofibromatosis and an optic nerve glioma, those patients, I feel the same about. I think we're talking at least a year's worth of treatment, probably two years, and then ask the question, uh, is it time to stop? What have we learnt from the worldwide experience and what do we know and is it time to think about stopping the drug? By the way, it might be with this drug that if you stop the drug and then the tumour starts growing, that you could go back on the drug and it might work again. With many of the old-fashioned cancer drugs, if a tumour grew back after giving a certain drug, you'd say, well, that drug's useless. Don't try that again. It might be, and I say might, it might be that with the MEK inhibitors, if the tumour became active after stopping them, it might be that you could go back on a MEK inhibitor and see it being effective again. We're still learning about that sort of thing as well. The next thing to mention is the expense of these drugs and how do you get these drugs. They are on the market for melanoma, for instance, and in some countries the government will have approved funding for the drugs for melanoma, but they might not have approved funding for these conditions I'm speaking about, the gliomas and the plexiform neurofibromas. I think one of them might have been approved in the United States in neurofibromatosis, but in many other countries this wouldn't be the case, and they are very expensive drugs. If you're talking about prolonged treatment, potentially lifelong treatment, that issue of who's going to pay for it, unfortunately, is a reality. And it may be that drugs are accessible within clinical trials. It may be in some countries that uh, the drug companies make them available via some sort of compassionate access scheme. These things vary from country to country. But it might be that the only way to get the drug is to pay for it. And quite frankly, most people would not be able to afford prolonged treatment with these drugs at today's prices, uh, particularly if we're talking about lifelong treatment. So it's a real problem and one that we need to lobby government uh, to fix. Uh, When we've got evidence that they work in some of these conditions, we really need to see Uh, the government and the companies working to try to make the drugs available for everyone who needs them. So just to summarise again, I've been talking about a class of drugs called the MEK inhibitors, uh, particularly trametinib and selumetinib, but there are some others. They're drugs that are given by mouth every day, once a day. The main side effects that I see uh, skin side effects, particularly toenail and fingernail, inflammation and infection, but also various other skin rashes, and they've got some other side effects. But they're not like old-fashioned chemotherapy that makes your hair fall out and needs the central line and all those terrible low blood counts and nausea and vomiting, things like that. Uh, They don't have those side effects in general. In paediatrics and in young adults, we're particularly looking at using these drugs in the treatment of low-grade glioma where a BRAF fusion gene has been detected. 
And we find that in most low-grade gliomas in paediatrics. We also use them in uh, patients with neurofibromatosis type 1 who have either a low-grade glioma or a plexiform neurofibroma. And the treatment duration with these drugs looks to be one or two or more years for the low-grade gliomas. And for the plexiform neurofibromas, it likely needs to be lifelong treatment. A lot of research trials still ongoing around the world, and I think they'll be going for some time as we look to collect more and more evidence about how to use these drugs. Very expensive drugs, and uh, uh, just paying for them is a problem. And uh, I would hope that our governments will step in and make the drugs funded so that we can access the drugs for everyone who needs them. Anyway, I will stop there. Uh, It's February 2021 as I record this episode. Give your child a hug, be nice to the nurses, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.